morning. Well, that was rather appropriate to begin the year with beginnings. Uh, it's always good to speak when the pastor is present. <laughs> and, uh, so if I misspeak, he can always correct me next Sunday. So uh, that gives me some security. I was hoping that uh, we could have some youth read the scripture today because uh, it reminds me of the experience we had in Jerusalem at the Temple Mound. Uh, the uh, tour guide had arranged it so that we would be there at the time of a bar mitzvah. And uh, the Jews at age 13 get uh, the youth to uh, take the big uh, scrolls and lead the men in worship. The women are outside the wall and they are throwing candies, etc., as this youth now, a young man at 13, leads in worship. I think we've changed it to at least 18 nowadays, or maybe even further than that, that we uh, finally say, okay, at 18, you're legally an adult. Uh, also, it'd be nice to have a, a young person to help us fix in our mind some of the things I want to speak about. And uh, in the creation, we talked about God creating the stars, etc. And I assume that uh, King David must have been, okay, here's my image, must have lying, been lying on his back in the night, looking up at the sky, and he uh, likely created this Psalm 8. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars that thou art in, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him, that you made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Like, God, you're so great. How can I explain it? Well, all of the skies, that's just you did with your fingers, you know, not, nothing very hard, little busy work, you know, you did all the stars. And uh, it uh, happened in the ancient world that scientists also got interested in the stars, and so they, they counted the stars. They had it down pat. Summer's over a thousand stars that we had in our skies. So that is real neat, so we, we knew that. And uh, maybe David knew a little bit more than the scientists do because after a while, this guy Galileo comes along and made a telescope and he pointed it up in the sky and uh-oh, lots more stars. And I don't know if they counted them at that point. And then uh, in the more uh, later world, we came up with somebody who decided, you know, when you look through all the atmosphere, it distorts the images of the skies. So let's send a telescope up beyond our atmosphere. So they started with the Hubble telescope. Send it up so that they could really get some clear pictures. And uh, they got the idea, hey, you know, we're not the only galaxy. The galaxy of the Milky Way is here, yeah. And they figured maybe there could be more than 100 million stars in the galaxy. Now, if you want to add zeros, you can to that. And uh, there's a few other galaxies, but they weren't, they had some trouble with that Hubble telescope, so uh, they came up with uh, another telescope. Uh, what's it called? The, uh, the Webb, James West Webb Space Telescope. I think they're still working on that one to get a, a big mirror to get the details, but anyhow, with looking through this telescope, they found out not only are there, is there another galaxy, there are groups of galaxies. And here we're told in scripture 
that God numbers them all and knows them all by name. Can you imagine the greatness of God? <laughs> like I figured in all my teaching career, I maybe taught about 4,000 students, but uh, that's nothing compared to the number of stars. And God said, oh yeah, yeah, this, 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 he's all got a name. I couldn't think of millions and billions of names, but this is God. Get the idea of how great God is. We, we, we cannot really imagine how great God is. And so uh, at the peak of the creation, God created man. After he'd done all this, the stars and everything else, he created man. And it must have really, it throws scientists off completely. How somebody could create something that would last 50 years, 70 years, 100 years, over 100 years. And sometimes this human being which he's given us has the ability even to fix itself. Now I'm sure all of you farmers, leave alone mechanics, Harve, would love, well you'd be out of work. But <laughs> if we could invent a machine that we could buy and when it got into trouble, well you just left it in the shed for a little while and that would be fixed by itself. Uh, God created us and it's awesome what he did when he created a human being. So we, we think, when we think about God and try to get this image in our mind, all we want to do is fall down and worship him. You know, this God who has us in mind, who has all of creation in mind, and he keeps it all going. This year, we have finished one year. We don't need to look back at that. You likely did that last night. But we're looking forward to a new year. We all have had wonderful as well as painful experiences in the past year, and we likely will have more of those in the future. But God clearly teaches us from his word. Here are five things I want to talk to you about, which that great and wonderful God has given us to take with us into this coming year. First thing that God tells us is, trust me. And of course, we all come to that verse in the Bible that teaches us to trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. But you know, that's a proverb. But uh, there are many other places. It's nice to have a computer and you put in trust me for God and you find piles of verses. So you choose whichever one you want. And uh, I came... I came across several. I've chosen one of them. Come to that in just a minute. When God says, trust me with all your heart. Now, as a youth, I thought, what am I going to do in life, you know? Where is God going to lead me? And, well, trust me with all your heart. But, yeah, that doesn't tell me whether I'm going to be a farmer or a scientist or an archaeologist or whatever. And we find that God clearly tells us and what he tells us is, has nothing to do with what we do, really, but it has to do with who we are and how we relate to him and how we relate to others. And if it says, with all your heart, it simply means that God knows the way and we don't. And uh, with all your heart also reminds us of uh, a story. I like I liked the story 
of the uh, great uh, Bodine, who uh, stretched a cable across the uh, Niagara Canyon and walked across in the cable, and uh, 25,000 people were standing and watching and applauding him as he finished. And then he uh, uh, approached the audience and says, uh, do you think I could do this again? Well, of course, everybody's applauding. Do you think I could do it pushing a wheelbarrow? Uh, it got a little quieter. Uh, is there anyone who would like to jump into the wheelbarrow? Now, that's a little different. With all your heart. He eventually did cross carrying the, his, his uh, uh, fellow, his manager. He did walk across carrying his manager on his back. But trust with all your heart. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can do that, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, here's this situation. Will you trust me with all of your heart? I have to check back with my memory. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, but blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So this is the one thing God says for the coming year. Trust me. Um, and I trust that we will learn to do that with all of our heart. And God says a second thing, and this one I don't like so much, but God says, wait, wait. Uh, waiting isn't fun. But uh, the Micah chapter 7, verse 7, where we read, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And the Psalms, of course, we read Psalm 27, verse 14. I wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting on God isn't just downtime. God has his timing, but waiting on God usually means that God has a plan to coordinate events, to get them to the right place before he answers. And in the meantime, we wait. You can look at several examples, how God is uh, changing us to prepare for his answer to our uh, prayers. Look at Joseph. Started as a bit of an arrogant young man. It seems like, why did he have to tell his friends, his brothers and all this story about him being standing and all these sheaves bowing down to him? And uh, then he went from that to being a slave. That wasn't good enough. He went to jail. And then he became the ruler, the ruler second to the king of all of Egypt. That was waiting time. He didn't, Joseph, uh, Joseph didn't know what was happening, but God was forming things and he had to wait. 
Or look at Moses, another example. He started off being raised as a prince in Egypt. He must have had a good college education. He must have been trained in the military, etc. And uh, he could have said when he was 40 years old, ho, 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 yes, let's make these Egyptians pay for what they're doing. I've killed one, let's get the rest. And then after 40 years of waiting, God comes back to him and says, Moses, I want you to go and see Pharaoh. And he realized this wasn't all about him. This was finally the act of God working. So at age 80, when you wait for his coordinating, Moses says, who am I that I should go back to speak to the king? I'm not even good at speaking, Lord. Find somebody else. God had changed him. And then we read about Moses. He was the most meek person uh, who lived leading the children of Israel. So God says, trust me for this coming year. Wait, whatever you're waiting for. I, was, I listened to a speaker, Charles Stanley, and he says, what are you waiting for? He says, you will know. The time will come and you will know. Third thing God tells us to this coming year is that I am in every detail of your life. I'm in every detail of your life. I like Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed at the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light as you. And then the psalmist goes on and he continues with a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and know how my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of life. Just a personal note. I never wanted to pray that prayer. You know, asking God to search all the little details of my life. And I remember well the day I decided, okay, I'm going to pray this. I'll take my chances. And I prayed this prayer, Lord, search me. And I thought, oh, now God is going to crush me because there's going to be a lot of things that I don't know about that he knows about. I found nothing happened. But then I found in little things in my life, I became aware of there are things in my life, you know, this doesn't please God. That doesn't please God. You know, God is so merciful and so kind that when we ask him to search us, he will search us. He'll answer that prayer. But he's not going to destroy us. Anyhow. A third thing that God tells us is, my timing is perfect. Now that I like a little better. 
Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption of sons. Let's just look at the history that took place around the fullness of time before Jesus was born. Um, in Israel, it had been 400 years. Now, we can say that quickly, but uh, how many generations pass in 100 years? Now, this is 400 years. It had been 400 years since Malachi the prophet had last spoken. God hadn't spoken. Israel was deep in sin. And uh, God had made every effort. He'd given them every promise. They had received every threat. They have every blessing. They had every curse. They had every opportunity. Everything God did for them showed how desperate things had become. And as if Jesus had come any sooner, then a lot of the prophecies would not have been in place. And uh, God had to choose that perfect time. So God sent forth his son in the fullness of time, we are told. The fullness of time included more than this aspect of the story as though God also waited until the right conditions had come to, into place so that the news about Jesus' birth could be spread and take root all over the world. It's easy for us to forget that for much of Israel's history and for most of those 400 years of history in between the Old and the New Testament, the world was a dangerous place. There were constant wars. Basic conditions were such that it was difficult or even dangerous for ordinary people to travel any distance. And for around 30 BC, before Christ was born, one of the Roman generals began to accumulate power to himself, uniting a group of provinces into an empire and becoming its very emperor. He used his new powers to bring stability and peace to the empire. And uh, we read a lot about how the Romans were used during, even during the time of Christ. And the first emperor hired professional army to stop riots and to keep the peace. He built a huge network of roads that connected the whole empire together and had them patrolled with soldiers, making distant travel easier and safer for it had, as it, before it had ever been that way. And he established a courier service to develop news uh, and documents that could be sent around the empire. All of this took money. And so for this first emperor, he re-engineered re the taxation system to make it safer and more efficient. And he ordered an empire-wide census so that he could accurately tax the provinces. This first emperor's name was Caesar Augustus. We read about him in Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's not just some story of once upon a time. No, that's telling us about the very first Roman emperor who had issued this decree as part of his ambitious administration of the empire. It was into this Roman emperor then that Jesus was born. When the fullness of time had come, God's timing is perfect. I like the story of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't going to bow down to the king's image. 
And so the king had the fiery furnace heated up and threw all three of them into the furnace. And uh, as he watched, there was four people in the furnace, so he called for them to come out. Once they came out, the inspection began. Their hair hadn't been singed. They didn't smell like smoke. They were no longer bound. In that split second, when the ropes that had bound them and they were thrown in had burned up and before any part of their skin was burnt, God stepped in now. God's timing is perfect. In our keeping with our previous notes, God speaks to us and says another thing. I love you. Now here we have to pause just for a little bit because uh, in the English language, the meaning of words changes. Love is one of those words. Love has been degraded uh, down into our generation. And uh, if I say I love and I name one of you by name, they say, uh-oh, either uh, that's not a very good relationship because love has changed. But fortunately, the Apostle Paul spelled it out for us. And he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always trusts. Love never fails. Now in John 14, 4 verse 16 we read, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. So then we could say, God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, Although he is jealous, a jealous God and he wants us to worship him alone, God does not boast. He doesn't have to. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking because he's perfect and he wants to be, us to become mature like him. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. In 1 John 1, 9 we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he remembered, has he removed our transgressions from us. Can you imagine that? He keeps no record of wrongs. You don't have to go through life uh, living with that guilt of something that you did which you feel is very wrong. And you've confessed it to God. God says, that's gone. Let's go on. He doesn't keep a record of wrong. God does not delight in evil. He rejoices in the truth. God always protects. God never fails. So there we have five guidelines for the coming year. God says to us, trust me, wait. I'm in every detail of your life. My timing is perfect and I love you. 
And there we have what it means. And so we marvel when we find these words written thousands of years ago, how relevant they are today. What does this year hold for us? We don't have to review the news all around us. It's a world in turmoil, and it's not getting better. Have we any guidelines for the future? The most accurate guidelines for the future are the words of Jesus himself, where we read, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Um, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now, a lot of this stuff we say, yep, 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 it's happening. And if you listen to speakers on the radio, they say they've always happened, but now they're happening a lot closer together. He talks about birth pains, and we're familiar with this, that the pains come, and then they come closer and closer. And when they come very close together, as they are now, we are getting close to the end. So there is much to be said about what is happening. A lot more uh, in, the, in the American news, they're, they're a bit more open than we are. Like truth is, deception is used a lot. Uh, fake news is a, is a term that we've come to uh, become familiar with. Uh, the media will say, the FBI lied to us. The FBI lied. Yeah, that's happened. And that's still happening in our world today. And we can be sure there's much deception, both in the political as well as in the spiritual world. There are some speakers who just say, oh, use this special water and you might get $30,000. Well, I don't find that in Matthew. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. You know, God hasn't necessarily promised. There's deception. But, uh, of course, this costs a little bit. And uh, it happened even in Paul's day where he said, you know, people are preaching the gospel, uh, some out of jealousy. Uh, they don't have the right motive, but the gospel is being preached. So competition in, among ministers takes place. And Christians will be persecuted. We are fortunate in this country to some extent but the time is coming. We will be more persecuted in the future year than we have in the past. Uh, there was a broadcast that said in some places in the States, nativity scenes are not allowed in public places. 
You can't put up a nativity scene in front of City Hall unless you balance it out with Santa Claus and some other non-Christian events. Then, then it will be allowed. That happened this Christmas. It's getting worse. Because of this opposition, the solid Christian faith, the love of many will grow cold. What do we do about the, all this? The one thing the Bible is full of, don't be afraid. Stand firm. You're not going to change the whole world, but you can change yourself. And you can maybe can change one other person and help them along in their way in life. Stand firm. Don't let the world around us squeeze us into its own mold. Don't pray that all the opposition will go away. Rather pray and work to grow stronger that you can stand against the things that are coming against us. Let's resolve to spend more time in the word, spend more time in prayer, and ask God to guide us and help us to continue to deepen our relationship with God. And pray that these last days, many will join us in our walk with God. May God help us to grow stronger in our faith in him, and our love for each other. And just in case you weren't taking notes and your memory is something like mine, trust me, wait. I'm in every detail of your life. My timing is perfect. And I love you, says God.